Tech Talk. Hi, I'm Johnny Kaplan. And I'm Jesse Katz. And you're listening to the Tech Talk podcast series. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Johnny. So, really excited to take you to see three more guests. Yeah, tell me about them. I'm so excited to see. First one is an ex Air Force pilot that took the technology that he had inside his helmet. He had augmented reality sites that would give him information, like a digital display on his helmet. He took that to winter sports, you know, outdoor extreme sports like snowboarding, skiing. So, He's basically given you a helmet that whilst you're on the ski slopes will give you information over there is dangerous, this direction you're going into, contact with your friends, all these kind of things on your helmet. Very cool. Oh, my God. That's amazing. And the next guest will be Safer VPN. They have a virtual private network. So they give you this option to buy their software. You put it on your computer. It then tricks your internet connection to think you're in a different country. So why is that good? Because, you know, sometimes you go on holiday, you want to access your bank or one of your accounts, and you have to be in the U.S. to access it. So, you know, there's one instance it would be really good. But there's actually, you know, people in Iran or China or in places where things are blocked by non-democratic government, and therefore they don't have access, they don't have freedom of information. So this actually gives them the access to pretend they're in a different country and bypass any technology that's prohibiting them from surfing. That's really interesting, Johnny. Actually, even on the defensive side, I have had quite a few friends that were targeted because of the country they live in from people from another country, and they were the victims of cyber attacks, I guess you could say. That's also really interesting. Absolutely. It's very beneficial to some people. Look, you know, there's a few people who use this for untowards reasons, but generally very helpful technology and helping, you know, to get freedom in places around the world. Right. And last up, last but not least, as I like to say, because this is really cool, a robot soccer team. We're going to see the professor, the head of the robotics lab, Barilan University, and he's going to show us this robotics team that he's been building for like two decades. And as far as he says, he's 30 years away from it being top of the range soccer team that will beat a human. But when you see these guys play, it's amazing. AI robots that literally have a team, they play against each other, and he runs the Israeli robot soccer team in these leagues around the world. That's really interesting, but I feel like that's going to upset a lot of soccer fans. It's going to put them off. No, it's actually really interesting. You know, the robots are not up to the same level that humans are. The components, the sensors, the way that they process the information is slower than humans. So actually, it's really interesting to see. I find with the development of technologies like this, we learn more about ourselves as humans that helps us to create the machines. And I think that's one of the benefits that comes out of this. Interesting. I think actually another major benefit now that you said that is at first glance, you might think, oh my God, like now they're going to ruin soccer for us. But if the humans can beat the machines, I guess that's kind of like another feat. Don't worry, guys. They're not taking over the world just yet. We're still better than they are. Correct. That is kind of the stage. We're not quite there. Obviously, the threat is there and it's a good time to be assessing it. In about 20 years from now, I think it'll be a totally different situation. 
Okay, well, let's think in the now because I'm really excited to see this soccer team. I couldn't agree more. So let's go see Alan Getz, the CEO of Rideon, and hear more about his extreme sports augmented reality visors. All right. So I'm here with Alan Getz, the CEO and founder of Rideon. Hi, Alan. Hi. Lovely to meet you. Tell us about this amazing solution you have for snowboarding and outside activities uh, using augmented reality. So we started Rideon to bring the same level of augmented reality you can find in F-16 cockpit to all outdoor applications. And we actually know that the only place that augmented reality really works is in the outdoors, where you have to put something on your head and you want to see the overlay on the reality. So, I mean, this is something you've had much experience with. Mm. The Israeli Air Force, I think they must have been using for 20 years now or so, augmented reality on their visors, on the helmets, and as you say, in the cockpit as well. So this is a technology, obviously, you became accustomed to whilst in the army, and you've taken those skills and that experience and taken it to the commercial world outside. Yeah, something like that. It's not the same technology, but the same idea. Right. This is where you want to use the augmented reality. So why like, fighter pilots want to use it the best? Because they need their hands all the time, and they need their focus and their vision outside. So they can see the friends, they can see the enemies, they can tell the missile where to go to without using their hands inside the cockpit. Right, because they have guided missiles according to eye movement. So it will track the eye movement, they'll look up in the air, the missile will guide it, and of course they can keep their hands on the plane and make sure they're flying in the right direction. Exactly, and actually this makes the performance of the aircraft, pilots and weapon two or three times better. Right. So we took this idea and said, why not enjoying, not just for fighting? So you took the concept of using this in the outdoors mm -hmm. to give you extra guided information, but you took it to a recreational sport, mm -hmm. to snowboarding, to skiing, where exactly. people are outdoors, they have lots of dangerous obstacles, trees, hills, and all sorts of things in front of them, other skiers, other snowboarders, and you're starting to give them these facilities inside their helmet to see exactly what's going on and give them additional information as they're enjoying themselves. Exactly. Make the experience better. When you don't know where you are, now you can just look up and see a 3D map overlaid. Or you don't know where your friend is and you want to say, hey, let's have a drink. And then you could have to put your cell phone out. It doesn't work. So we solved all this. So when you're using this helmet or the goggles, the experience is, is two times better. And safer, as you said. You're not having to pull your mobile phone out. Yeah. You're not skiing down a mountain at 40 kilometers an hour and having to check your phone and possibly have an accident because it's uh, very dangerous. This is only one thing. One of the coolest things that we have here is SOS button. So you just look up and an SOS message is sent to the control center. And actually this season we have an next version that the sensors inside, like they feel that you got hurt, you don't move for a minute and it sends your GPS location. Your kid is safe, your kid doesn't have to wait on the snow for an hour to somebody to pick him up. Fantastic. So it's safer, much more fun. You even have music inside, your favorite music. Tell us a little bit about the company itself. We started with our own money. We did some Indiegogo campaign back in the beginning, more not for, to raise money, but to raise the awareness of what we are doing. Till now, we raised about one million and a half. Mm -hmm. 
we got some money from the Israeli chief scientist, the Innovation Authority of Israel. Mm -hmm. Proves that you have unique and innovative software mm -hmm. uh, and technology, and you only get the stamp of approval from the Israeli chief scientist if you have something which is uh, and, particularly... And uh, this is unique. great for us because it's great to get more investors. But tell us a little bit about how the device is made up and how it works. The same technology that we use here in this helmet can be used for multiple sports, multiple outdoor activities, could be consumer or enterprise activities. This technology is unique. There is a big problem of uh, placing the virtual objects on the real world in a fast, uh, stable and accurate way. And what we are doing is using our knowledge in computer vision and sense of fusion to overcome this challenge. Excellent. Yeah, it's very responsive to my head movement. So just checking to see, it really does know that I've tilted my head even just a small amount. I want you to take a video of what you're seeing right now. Cool. So you can see like a preview of what you're seeing that I you're recording. I see you in the video, yeah. That's yeah, amazing. cool. Wow, that's really great. It's very easy to use, right? Yeah. Yeah, I want to take a snapshot. Okay, to the left. Cool. So now look at what you're going to three, two, one. And I cool. took a snapshot of you. Yeah, cool. <laughs> So that's made me really want to go snowboarding now. I really want to just put one of these on, get on the slopes. I mean, it's so cool, right? You've got everything inside the helmet there. Clever use and application of military technology. You know, the guy's come out of the military. He's not interested in that anymore. He's looking at extreme sports, snowboarding, you know, fun pastimes. And I think it's an excellent application of those. I think that's actually really interesting because, I mean, who wouldn't want to share this crazy experience with your friend? while you're there correct and you know he talked about saving lives you know how many people get lost disappear lose connection there's so many issues and dangers when you're doing extreme sports you know outdoor winter sports that this actually gives you a huge you know gps connectivity hands-free many different things that tracker that you don't have that's actually protecting lives right so that's actually pretty cool because not only is it fun and uh, cool to use, but it's also a pretty nice safety protocol. Yes. All right. So let's go visit these guests who have the virtual private network and see how they're doing. I'm so excited to see. Let's do this. All righty. So we're here at Safer VPN in the heart of Tel Aviv with CEO and co-founder Amit Baraket. Hi, Amit. Hi, Johnny. Lovely to meet you. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, Jesse. So tell us a little bit about Safer VPN and how you guys put the company together. So Safer VPN is a team of cybersecurity experts that are bounded together to deliver a safer, privacy-oriented internet for the public. A VPN is a virtual private network, right? This is a tunnel that you can use to access the internet, and this masks your internet connection to make it appear like you're somewhere else. In the old days, people used to use it to do all sorts of dodgy things on the internet. And these days, people are just doing it to protect their privacy, to protect their security of their information, and obviously to gain access to sites where they may be restricted according to location. Utilizing a VPN, basically you have your private tunnels that nobody can see what you do. It's effectively anonymous browsing, right? Exactly. When you go to a public Wi-Fi, it takes only two seconds to steal all your information, to see what emails are you sending, to steal your credit card, your identity. So it's super important to encrypt your traffic and to keep it private and secured for your own use. So is this service being offered strictly in Israel? No, actually most of our customers are spread all over the world, whether they are from the US uh, to China, 
restricted countries like Iran and Syria, where public speech is uh, highly restricted. And what made you come up with this? Both me and uh, Sagi, my co-founder, met at uh, Tel Aviv University during our studies. We both come with a similar background. We were computer geeks. And then... Uh, you still are computer geeks, yeah, from what I understand. Right? <laughs> I still develop. Geek is chic, it's good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and we served in a similar unit in the Israeli army, in the intelligence corps. So this is where everything began. And from there, it's like a snowball effect. And you invest a little bit from your own money into marketing. You generate a bit more, you invest more, you generate more. You hire your first employee, which is a big, big milestone. And you progress. You make a lot of mistakes doing the way, trying not to make them twice. He who makes no mistakes makes nothing. So you have to make mistakes in order to evolve in life. It's very important. So those mistakes are probably the fabric of what made you to a successful business today. Yes. I think that the Jewish mother previously wanted you to be a doctor. <laughs> now she wants you to be an entrepreneur. So it was a clear both for me and Sagi from the beginning that this is what we want to do. And we developed an app that uh, tracks stolen cars. Mm-hmm. We've won uh, international Microsoft competition and gave us the drive to push forward and start uh, with Safer. Excellent. We've managed to work together at the beginning practically from our basement and develop the entire product, launch it, having the first customer, which we were super excited. And the fruits of your labor are now coming to fruition because you're here in lovely offices uh, just off Rothschild in the heart of Tel Aviv. Uh, you've got a lovely team of staff here, very intelligent, very astute people. And as you said, you've got an impactful venture now because you're helping people to protect their privacy and to ensure people in places where they're restricted by dictatorships, where they're not able to actually access information, you're giving them the access to that information via your tunnel. Yeah, you don't need to be a technology savvy to use it. Mm-hmm. It's only an app. Okay, so it's an app that you download onto your phone? Yes. It's not only for your phone, but it's also for a desktop and even to your Android TV. I don't know how I haven't been using this until now. Well, you need to start using Safe for VPN today. I do, I really do. You'll get a free account. Thank you, excellent. (laughs) As much as we're talking about privacy and protecting our data and happy surfing, there's actually very serious life-threatening situations that you can get into. And there's people these days threatening people across the internet with their private information that they've stolen. You have people that have taken down organizations, You have TV shows that have been uh, ransomed, that the the new episodes have been stolen, given away for free across the internet. You've had uh, national health services that have been taken down. I mean, the threats are seriously lethal, and they're coming to the Pentagon, to health authorities, to banks. So it's very important we have cybersecurity and we're hot on it. And it's very important there are applications and services out there like yours. So you're constantly working to neutralize those threats so that other people can enjoy happy, safe lives. Yeah, it's actually very scary, everything that you've mentioned there. <laughs> yeah, no, for the record, if, if you didn't exist and I had heard what he just said, I would have gone and thrown all of my technology out the window. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here in shock. Thank God for you guys. So thanks so much for your time today. It's wonderful hearing about these intelligent solutions you have. Thank you so much. Thanks, Amit. Thank you, Jai. So Jess, you didn't really know about these technologies, but I take it you're going to be downloading Safer VPN after this show. Definitely. <laughs> Listen, you can never be too safe with your information on the internet. So I think it's something that we can all learn from. Absolutely. 
And I didn't mean to give you any sleepless nights and telling you the reason why this protects you and people around the world. But there really is a danger out there. And I don't think everyone is always aware of it. Definitely. No, and don't worry, you didn't scare me too much. But I think it's very important that we're all aware of what the dangers are and also that there is a solution. So it kind of quieted my nerves a little bit. So uh, are you ready to go and see some robots playing soccer? Um, yes. <laughs> let, me get, let me get my cheerleader gear on. <laughs> well, I might just have to call it football to feel authentic. But as most of our audience is in the US, I try to make it understandable locally. Eh, you can call it soccer. But I would like to call it football. So, robot football, robot soccer, let's go. All right, let's go. Go team, woo! (laughs) So, Professor Kohlberg, tell me about some of these wonderful robots that you develop, and what's the theory behind all of this research and development? What I'm doing in this lab is dealing with humanoid robots, which are difficult to handle because there's a balance problem, there's image processing that we are doing there, and also artificial intelligence, which means that we handle a team of robots that has to communicate within themselves and take decisions. Mm-hmm. I also do uh, robots that play games, like billiard game. So you're building a range of different robotic products that use different sensors and functions to detect what's going on in its environment and to process those actions. And that's ranging from sports to healthcare to military to educational, and really just for the development and evolution of robotics and development of machines versus human learning. Absolutely. I also promote robotics education for the young people. I think it's important because in 10 or 15 years, I think robots will be a very substantial part of our life. So as I understand, you have the only Israeli educational facility that's participating in the RoboCup tournament, which is an international robotics soccer tournament where the robots have to play soccer against each other. And this is one of the areas in which you test out these functions of the robots and you learn how to evolve them and and advance their efficiency. The mission is uh, to have a soccer playing robots that plays one against the other. And in the year of 2050, to have a robot team that will beat the team in the Champions League. You did say 2050. Yeah. Right. Wow. So that's quite a target in the future. I can imagine that's going to take some development and research to actually get there. Yes, it's a very tough mission. We see it as almost grand challenge mission, like developing a digital computer, flying the first flight for Wright Brothers, and things like this takes time. It takes decades to accomplish. The team should have abilities to see where the ball is, where the goal is, where the opponent are, there are many robots on the field. We do a lot of image processing, artificial intelligence, the robots, they talk between themselves with Wi-Fi and they take decisions. For example, who is going to kick the ball? Will it better to pass to my colleague? He will kick the ball. What should we do if the other team takes the ball? Now we have to have defense. Uh, And then uh, what the goalkeeper will do if the ball comes towards the goalkeeper? Uh, First of all, he has to decide if the ball will come to the goal at all. Maybe not, then he has to do nothing. And if it comes, where to jump? There's a lot of image processing, decision-making, commanding actions, uh, and actually actioning them within a certain time frame 
that will cause it to actually hit the ball at the right time frame while the trajectory of the ball is coming. Uh, yes, and it has to uh, run uh, fast calculations to, in order to be sure what to do. Traditionally, robots are very heavy-footed. Uh, actually, some of the robots here I see are quite heavy-footed. Yeah. But you're teaching them to use their functions in a quick manner and to process it, the images and what they're seeing visually, to process the information to the code and then back to action it as fast as possible. I would have said to you in my experience that the type of robots we have today and the type of technology we have today, we will be able to process those things now, given the cameras that we have and the types of technology and robots and AI. But what I'm understanding from you is there's a lot more processing calculations, algorithms, formulas, image processing, sensors that need to go on there, and probably updates in technology to allow the robot to move fast, to be agile, to allow him to process it all in that speed of time with the right processors, exactly. uh, the right components and so on. First of all, we are trying to be at the edge of the technology. The best technology, we make research and the research fruits comes to development for a better technology. And all the universities that compete, which are the best universities in the world, all of us, within the competition, we have also a conference. We show the research to each other and continue from there to improve the robots that we use. You can ask, uh, why do you need a robot that plays billiard? I mean, uh, To hustle people for money, right? <laughs> you send him into a bar, you oh, tell yeah, him to yeah. bet with people, and he beats everybody, takes all their yeah. money. Makes sense to me. He doesn't drink, he doesn't... <laughs> there you I mean, go, yeah. right. Doesn't it's, spend any of the profit either. Absolutely. And also there, we have problems that we need to solve. For example, the robot needs to know where the ball center is. And sometimes you have shadows, you have reflections, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And it's a lot of work to identify the ball's center. Then you have to identify the best shot that you can do in a certain time. Uh, the robot makes a lot of calculations in order to know exactly what will be the path of the balls. So, uh, if I understood correctly, you are using the image processing, the things you're learning from the development and research mm -hmm. of the robotics Absolutely. that you're able to implement into healthcare as you have done. You've taken this image processing and scanning of the impulses and so on, and you've used that in humans. You're not even using it in a robotic capacity, Absolutely. but you're using the same thing to repair health and, and to look after humans. This is the work that we do, actually. It's the same work. It can be implemented in many areas. So we developed something about identifying traffic signs, which is difficult because you shoot traffic sign in the, in the same speed of the car, in the same angle, but one picture in daylight and one in the evening or night, you'll get different images. So different technique is using deep learning when you take thousands of pictures of the specific traffic sign and let the robot or the, the machine to learn. And then after the, this training phase, it can... When you show some variation, then you yeah. can, uh, he can understand the difference in that picture to be able to identify the picture in different scenarios. And this is one of the examples that we take uh, something from the human being minds and translate it to robots uh, because it works with a neural net network. One researcher said that within 20 years he will uh, have an artificial brain, including feelings, uh, thoughts, and uh, he said that everything is a chemical process. You can replicate it. 
Yeah, so it, it... You first have to understand it. One of the things I was going to say to you in this understanding and learning of the robotics and advancement of robotics, surely it gives you firstly a better appreciation for the human body and the human mind and these uh, wonderful things that we were born with and they work better than any robotics that we've developed so Absolutely. far in any system. And it also alerts you to the complexities of the human body and the things that when you thought you could replicate it, oh my gosh, even standing the robot up on his two legs yeah. with all of this weight and balance, uh -huh. his mind's not able there to process it and it's a very difficult thing. We take for granted a lot of the functions we have as human beings, standing up, balancing, being able to process the images that we see, the difference between light and dark, all things that robotics these days are suffering with because they're using basic cameras and sensors and they don't really have a brain that thinks about this and processes it. They have an artificial brain that we program and it's limited to the program that we put inside of it. That's right, in uh, one exception that we let them try to, to do something new when it uh, encounters uh, a new situation, which means that we use the neural networks. And data is propagating through these networks and it comes with a solution at the end. Sometimes we as humans do not understand how it came to a specific solution. Uh, it works, but sometimes we don't know how it worked. And the next step will be to deepen in this uh, neural network and to start to know even better how our mind works. One of the things that you're learning here is more about the human body and the human mind. And actually, one of the only ways you can build robots these days is to replicate those functions. There isn't a huge amount of innovation in terms of doing something that the human body can't do, apart from, of course, lift uh, heavy things or go into dangerous environments but they can't actually really innovate too much because we're innovative as human beings ourselves and we still don't understand the full extent of the facilities and the resources that we have in the human body. That's right, but what will we do if in 20 years from now the robots will be smarter than humans? That's the problem. What, uh, do we have to obey them? It's an ethical question. So here's the danger in trying to replicate something that you still don't understand properly. And the danger is, is you replicate it and give it its own brain and allow it to think for itself and evolve for itself, and then you no longer have any control over that thing or That's understanding right. of it in, in any way. Several scientists said that we have to stop dealing with artificial intelligence. There's a lot of opinions about it. And we said that the technology eventually will take place. I mean, all the history, when they changed technologies, there were voices against it, but in some time, it took place in the human being's life and uh, helped them in industry, in life, in, in space. And... Mm -hmm. There is a danger, there's certainly a danger there. It's not that there isn't a danger, but we know that if we give them the ability to think for themselves, we can't control it. And that lack of control is a problem. Yes, if we'll go to a degree that uh, they will control us, <laughs> the robots, then we don't know what will happen. It's certainly very impactful work you're doing here and you've been already on a 40-year path to get to this point to start helping the youth of this nation, helping them to develop their understanding and their abilities within robotics. And it seems that you've got another 30 years chalked up in the future of development. Please God, we can continue doing the great work that you do and, and helping people to understand the capabilities of robotics and helping us as a generation to advance. Thank you. Thanks so much for your time today. Thanks. We'll certainly be coming back to follow your footsteps and see the more of the wonderful work that you do here. Thanks, you. Thank you. So, Jess, wow. 
He's just so inspiring, that guy. I'm still flabbergasted that he told me he's 30 years away from his mission. And to have already been 20 or 30 years on a mission already, and to have made so many achievements, and it already be working so well. But in your sights, you feel, gosh, you're still 30 years away from your destination. Just mind-blowing and so inspiring. I think it really is so inspiring to see the dedication the amount of dedication in the man, I mean, people dedicate less time of their lives to go to space. So I think that this is just something that's really impressive and I take off my hat to him. After seeing such a panel of incredible guests, technologies and companies, I'm excited for us to go to the next episode where we'll see a company that has these instant drone delivery platform for any retailer. There's another company who have developed a way for your smartphone to access the audio from any television in an airport, in a train station, directly to your headphones. Wait, what? Yeah, it's super cool. We're also going to see a school for underprivileged boys that takes kids that have come from distressed homes and gives them an education, gives them a place to stay, gives them love, support, but also teaches them technological skills. This was the first school in the Middle East to have Oracle networking and some of the leading technical minds of Israel come out of this school to their alumni. So that's amazing. And our last guest on the next show is a company called MindYou who has software that monitors senior citizens' conversations on calls to ensure that their health is well. And that's all AI. It doesn't actually listen to the call. It listens to the nuances in the voice pattern. Amazing guests coming up. Keep watching. Keep listening. You guys are going to love this. Jess, so excited to go to the next episode with you. Johnny, take me to the next episode. I can't wait. I just wish we had the teleport device, but we'll have to uh, click to the next episode. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. You may also visit us at electrocast.com. The Tech Talk podcast is a co-production of Tech Talk Media and Electrocast Media. Executive producers are myself, Johnny Kaplan, Ronald Hans, Mark Netter, and Peter Rafelson. Special thanks to our associate producer, Sienna Jackson, our podcast recordist, Adam Kleinberg, and our audio editor, Chris Souza. Join us in our next episode, where we continue our journey to the world's most amazing startups to bring you one step closer to our incredible new technological evolution. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast.
Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electric acid.